Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 23. Glad you could join us. In today's conversation, Hope and Bonnie speak with homeschooling veteran Beth Gath. Beth has a wealth of experience to share, with plenty of tips and do's and don'ts along the way. She has been a pioneering parent in exploring all the various offerings we have at Colby, whether strictly homeschooling, taking advantage of the self-paced course option, or enrolling her high schoolers in live online classes. In a word, she has something to offer for all, but the main advice, as she says, is to be flexible. Enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom, liturgical musician, podcast fanatic, heavy library user, and Colby parent ambassador. I have two lads and two lasses. The youngest is in fifth grade, the eldest is in 10th, and this is our fourth year homeschooling with Colby. And I'm Hope, Bonnie's younger sister and a Colby alumna in a phase of life after being a student, but before becoming a parent. I studied communication theory and philosophy in college, then I went to law school. Now I'm an attorney, an avid home cook, and the fun aunt to Bonnie's kids. Today we're speaking with Beth Gath, one of the Colby Parent Ambassadors, a longtime Colby parent. Welcome, Beth, to the Colby cast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a delight to talk to you today. We are hoping to get to know some of the Colby families a little better, see how folks do homeschool in their homes, just to get a glimpse of um, how other folks conduct their days, what works for them, what their favorite parts of homeschool are, or things that they wish they had been told, which that's always very helpful. We're trying to kind of collect ideas as we go along and anything that falls into the, I wish I'd known that going in. If I had it to do over again, I would have done this or I wish I would have known that. Before we get to all that, will you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure. So uh, I have six children aging, uh, ranging in age from nine to 20. My 20-year-old is a junior at Ave Maria University in Florida. My 18-year-old is a freshman at Wyoming Catholic College in Lander. My 16-year-old is a junior um, at Colby. She does online classes. And then I have 14-year-old twins, and they are freshmen who are doing two online classes with Colby. And then my, um, my youngest is in fourth grade. He's nine. Wonderful. You have quite the spectrum. Your 20-year-old your in Florida and your 18-year-old in Wyoming probably have a little bit different atmospheres of weather that they're experiencing lately, huh? Yes, kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. For sure. Do they compare notes weather-wise? Like, was that a factor for them deciding where they wanted to be? You know, it was not. I know a lot of people, you know, don't want to be in cold or don't want to be in, in the heat, but they just really, um, they just chose based on the schools. And, and I, I wasn't worried about my son in Florida because we live in Southern California and while it's not that humid, you know, it's still hot a lot of times. And so I, I knew he would be familiar with the weather, but I'm not, I wasn't sure about my daughter. I'm still not sure since it's only been a couple months. I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, she's fine so far, but after a whole winter of this, I don't know what she'll think, but so far so good. Oh, good. That is quite the leap from one to the other. Have you always homeschooled? We have. Yes. So I was a teacher before I had children, and, and I loved teaching. And I loved school my whole life. So it's not like I had a terrible experience in school as a child. I loved school. And, but then as a teacher, I just saw how much time was wasted in the classroom. You know, even with a, you know, even if you're diligent and you try really hard just by the virtue of the number of children in a classroom, there's just so much time wasted. And, and so we decided that we were going to homeschool, even, be, even kind of, I guess when we, were, when we got married, I mean, it wasn't like a, an engagement discussion so much, but just kind of, you know, as I was teaching, it was like, wow, you know, homeschooling would really be, really be a good thing. We went to a, like a Catholic family conference and there was someone speaking about homeschooling and that and kind of is what kind of brought it to the forefront of our, of our thoughts, even before we had children. And, um, and so we, we did when um, we just kind of knew for preschool, we did a co-op preschool for a couple of my kids and then, um, you know, little classes here and there, but but never a formal even preschool program. And then just kindergarten started full-time homeschooling. So do you have a typical day? Have you had one that's probably changed over time? Could you describe, would there be a typical one or would, has it been sort of seasons of um, everyone's young and so a typical day during that season looked like this. And now as, as they're growing older, you see the typical day, if there is one, changing a bit. Um, the typical day 
has changed a lot. But one thing that's been consistent is that I I pretty much always start working with the youngest child first, um, even, you know, whether that youngest child is my first grader or the youngest child is my fourth grader, um, just because the younger they are, generally the faster they get through their schoolwork and then they can be off playing. Um, and just also, you know, shorter attention spans, shorter periods of time to work with them. But besides that, my day has changed so much. Um, 15 years ago, I probably wouldn't have been able to do this. <laughs> Colby podcast because I would have had lots of people needing me. Um, you know, now I can be working independently and, I, and I'm um, and I'm able to do this. But I think I, I think working with the youngest one first is, just gives a general structure. You know, knowing the other ones know what to expect. Again, the older ones, whether they're in ninth or tenth grade or they're in fourth or fifth grade, as the older ones, they know to start their independent work until mom gets to me. And, uh, and so that's kind of been the overarching structure for our days. So do you set up your older students? How do they know what their independent work is? Do they consult the course plans directly or do you set them up? How does that work for you? So I fill out a planner. We they each have a planner. Even my um, even my fourth grader has a planner. But um, I, I give them I on over the weekend, I fill out the next week's planner for what they're going to do. You know, so they know what they have to do, you know, what math lesson or for their online classes. They just go into their you know, I just write that you're doing an hour of history today. And then they go into the Schoology and, and find what their work is. And the same thing for the self-paced. They can just go in and, you know, week 10, day five and, and see what they have to do. But if it's anything that's just a homeschool course, then I will I will write down what it is. So they're not navigating so many course plans and so many pieces of paper. And I don't know, it's just been easier that way. I will tell you, I cannot speak highly enough of planners. Early on, I didn't do that. I didn't have planners early on, like, when we started homeschooling. And then probably by my oldest, when he was in maybe first grade or second grade, I halfway through the year, I started making a list just on a piece of paper. And every day I would put this list on his desk. And then I, I don't even remember where I got the idea. I mean, not that planners are a new idea, but you know, where I first heard that, oh, this would be a good idea. Um, but yes, planners have been have been a, a great key organization. We are big fans of planners around here. And if anyone is new, to the podcast uh, recently. First, welcome. Second, we actually have an entire episode on planners. I think it's episode five that has some of the discussions of various layouts. And so I, I love that we didn't plan it this way, but I love that it dovetails with hearing how you use your planners and how you've used those to help structure your day and, and gather what people can be working on independently and planning ahead to collaborate with with you and all of that. And even how it grew out of necessity, how you you can buy a planner, sure, or you can get a piece of paper and make a list. Like you can make your own planner, sheet of notebook paper, spiral bound, just plain whatever, you know, right. any anything like that, you can make a tool out of that. Just, just have it meet your needs as you see them arise. That's great. I think you might be the first parent we've spoken to on the Colby cast who, at least since we joined, who is making use of the self-paced courses. That's interesting. So have you guys used those for a while? Um, we have not. This is only my 11th grader did biology when she was in ninth grade self-paced. And then that was the only one. And then now my twins, uh, my ninth grade twins doing the uh, are doing IPC, Introduction to Physics and Chemistry, self-paced. And it's been great. It's I'm, I'm planning <laughs> to add more next year, more, um, more self-paced because it's a, I think it's a great combination of independence, right? They go on to the school gym. It's so clearly laid out for them. The videos where the teacher explains the concepts are, are fantastic, but it also gives them the flexibility of not feeling, not feeling the pressure that they feel in online classes, which I love the pressure of online classes, which is why we do them. But, um, you know, first, you know, some students, the pressure is better than others, you know, certain amounts of the pressure, right? So, two classes for some, three for another, four, you know, kind of just depending. And and I think that um, the self-paced classes are a great kind of compromise, you know, um, with the, still the expert instruction from the teacher, the organization that takes some of the pressure off me, but not, not the full-on pressure of an online class. Sure. That's great to hear. That sounds like it really fills a need. It sounds like for so many people and well, many needs, I would think as, as you're describing, other folks have time constraints, whatever classes are being offered that they would like to take, but they are at a time that is does not work for their family or whatever. It sounds like those self-paced classes can really fill a need. 
And, and it's great to hear that they're working so well for your family. Did So do you have any tips for homeschooling with little ones around? Sounds like you have probably amassed quite a toolbox. When my twins were, my twins were born in September, the September that my son turned six and was in first grade and, you know, all the family members who were didn't think homeschooling was such a good idea to begin with, you know, well, now that you're having twins, you're going to put them, put, put him in school, aren't you? It's like, no, we're going to, how, how are you going to, how are you going to homeschool, you know? I think one of the best things that I've done and that I've suggested to new parents, of course, now this year, so many more parents are homeschooling than before. And people I know who didn't used to homeschool are now homeschooling is making use of the older children to help with the, the younger children. And the older children don't need to be teenagers. You know, when my son was six, my next one was four, and she spent hours reading to her two-year-old sister, you know, and it improved her reading and it kept the two-year-old happy, right? And then just as they got older, you know, that that was kind of the, you know, the four and five-year-old were reading to the, to the toddlers. So something like that, that helps them. And then also having just special toys. And this is something that people say all the time, you know, but having special toys or educational kind of toys, you know, whether that's certain puzzles or letter games or that the toddlers can play by themselves or Play-Doh or you know, just whatever it is you don't usually have out. But this is a school time toy. Um, so those are probably the things that were most helpful with, I think, making use of the siblings helping being like the top one. Sure. That's fantastic. That's a great, great idea. So how has your typical day or even just your, how have things changed for you as your children have gotten older? You're definitely not in that season of everyone's little all at once. In a lot of ways, things have changed in a lot. A lot and in some ways, things haven't changed very much. Um, one thing is you might, 11th grader is my twins Latin teacher. I have her once a week. They have a Latin class just as they would if they were online. Once a week, they have a class. She grades their work. She's, you know, she's following the plan. And uh, and so I'm still making use of the older children, helping the, helping the younger children in that way. Um, but, you know, now they're so much more independent. You know, I, I'm for my older ones, I'm, I'm mostly a manager rather than, uh, than a, a teacher. Even for the homeschool classes that my twins do, you know, like math, we're just doing that as a home, they're taking algebra one, and we, we use Saxon, and it explains the lesson, they do the problems, I check them, I go over ones they don't understand, but they teach themselves a lot, so I, I, I more manage, you know, my, my fourth grader, I'm still, you know, we still sit down for grammar, we still sit down for spelling, we still sit down for, you know, we still sit down for, together for a lot of things, but I, I'm, my role is moved more to manager. I love hearing how your 11th grader teaches your ninth graders because like you were describing with the with the four-year-old reading to the two-year-old and that improves their uh, both of their language skills and has a relationship component to it and everything that's cool to see it as it is evolved and, and grown up and I, I know some people say like you don't truly understand a topic until you can also teach it and so that I think demonstrates that your 11th grader has gotten it. If she's able to then teach it to her siblings, then it's in her brain. And What you said about the relationship aspect, that's probably one of the two main reasons we decided to homeschool was the relationship aspect. Because when the kids are always together, they're not always, even if they're fighting, you know, they're still always together, but they have, an, they have the opportunity to do that. You know, if my four-year-old was at preschool, she wouldn't be reading to the two-year-old or if my 11th grader was in full-time high school, you know, obviously if they were both in high school, they wouldn't, you know, there wouldn't be that, that teaching relationship, but just the amount of time that you spend together because of homeschooling just really makes siblings, uh, you just really bring siblings together and makes the family, your family, the focus, right? So rather than, and we do other activities. So it's not as if all we do is stay home all day. You know, we have ballet, we have swimming, you know, different people have different things, but, but, you know, for the majority of the day, we are home together. And and even if they're not eating lunch at the same time, they're passing each other in the kitchen. You know, just family is, is, um, is the center of your life when you're homeschooling. We've seen similar strengthening of relationships here in our home as well, since we started homeschooling. And just like you said, even if we're not engaged in conversation, looking at each other, doing things together, we're together still, and we can still help each other when we need to. We can just be present to each other in a way that if we're going in a zillion different directions or if we've been at school all day, then there's, as we talked about in a, in a previous episode, there's that time, that transitional time, or so much energy has been expended being on with other folks throughout the day that 
then the family gets what's left, right? Instead of here, I'm giving you the best of me today and, and helping build each other up. And that's really beautiful to hear. Are there things now looking back that, oh, I wish I'd known this, or if I were to start this over, I would do this, or pearls of wisdom you pass along to new homeschoolers? I think the biggest thing is to be flexible with yourself, with your, your course plans. In the beginning, it was, you know, it's like every single day we had to do X, Y, Z, and we had to do it exactly the way the plan said, you know, I, I, we still finish all our books and everything, but, you know, it's like every, to the letter, like we had to do every single thing exactly the, the way it was outlined. And we couldn't skip a problem. We couldn't skip a, a sentence to diagram, you know, it was like every single thing had exactly right. And it doesn't have to be that way. You know, you, if your child gets the diagramming after three sentences, you don't have to do all five, you know, or you can pick the three, three from this section and three from that section. You don't have to do all, or if your child isn't getting it, then you add them, right? That, but that's the, that's the biggest thing. I was just talking to a mom yesterday who started homeschooling her girls this year. And because the online virtual learning wasn't working for them, not, not homeschooling like Colby, but you know, the six hours a day, through right, Zoom sure. with the local public school wasn't working. And um, mm-hmm. and she was saying, you know, I, I'm worried I'm not, you know, I was planning on doing this, this, and this today. And we only got halfway through this because, you know, and for a variety of reasons. And I said, but you'll catch up, you know, that's the beauty of homeschooling is that you, you can catch up on the weekend or you can go a couple days into the summer or you, you'll find a, something that you really don't need to spend that much time on after all because your child already knows this or picks it up really quickly. And I think the biggest thing looking back is I wish I had known to be more flexible. And I had heard that homeschooling can be harder for teachers, which is might be counterintuitive. But because when you teach, you are on such a strict schedule and you do have to do every, you know, you can't gauge each child's strength and weaknesses and change the problems or the sentences to diagram according to that. And I probably was thinking more like a classroom teacher than a homeschooling mom, you know, but that there's certainly that. And then my ninth graders are dyslexic and early on. So my first three, you know, everything came very quickly and easily too. And so then when it, when they were s- slower to learn to read, you know, people just said, well, you know, everybody learns at a different rate, which is so true, you know, and it's so so important to understand that. But, and they were improving, you know, it's not like they never learned to read or anything. It was just, you know, it was an improvement, but it was a, it was a slow improvement. And so we changed spelling programs, we changed, and we we must have done like five different phonics programs, right, between kindergarten and second grade, right? And not phonics, like the workbook phonics, but like reading through, you know, we we did a Bob Books phonics, we did a Scholastic, you know, we did, we did, we certainly did 100 easy lessons, because that was my own did right but you know we just tried so many different things and they learned to read but they never liked it um they do now but they didn't like it and it was it was just always a struggle but I thought you know they're learning slower but they're learning but kind of in third grade we switched spelling programs again and it seemed to go well at first and then it didn't go well and I thought okay there's there's something more here so fall of fourth grade after trying yet again something different, I had remembered reading about a, a tutor for dyslexia and I contacted her and, and she tested them. And indeed they had dyslexia, which didn't at that point didn't surprise me because I, I had started reading things. So I wish I had, I wish I had known earlier because I would have been so much easier on them. You know, for kids who are dyslexic, copying is really hard. And so one change I made, I, I started copying their math problems from their math book. and Whereas before they would copy them wrong and I'd say, the problem is right here. Why aren't you copying it correctly? You know, you're just copying numbers. But that was actually something that was really hard for a third grader or fourth grader to do. And so I wish I had known to to look sooner, you know, into into getting help, um, into getting help. And so and we ended up doing a Barton tutoring, which is a dyslexic tutoring system and they made incredible progress I mean it was amazing they they love to read they um their spelling improved and that was the thing spelling I, I felt like they were pretty good with reading they didn't like it but they were reading pretty well but it was a spelling that was the thing that was you know that was really really hard for them and so they did that and then about two years ago no I guess about a year and a half ago I was at a conference and I just happened to be walking by this booth and they had a, something about right brain learning, Diane Craft's right brain learning. 
and we decided we did that last year and that made a huge difference so the barton tutoring was great talking about the rules in a way that a dyslexic brain works but the right brain learning is is kind of trying to help retrain the brain actually to to think non-dyslexically and if that's even a word where we are right now with you know 10 weeks into ninth grade if you had told me last summer like august of 2019 that we would be where we are i would have said how like I, I would not have known we would be able to get there but doing a year of that program intensively made such a difference um, made such a difference for them and so if my advice to parents would be if you have a child that seems to be struggling and you know there are tears and i'm not i mean not like my children all always woke up excited to do schoolwork in the morning you know mm-hmm. um, but if it you know it's beyond the normal struggle um you, you might want to to, you know, just even just reading up on it yourself to see if, you know, you see any, any of these signs. Sure. Have you, you made use of any of the online tools? There are websites that I wouldn't count on them for an official diagnosis, of course, but it's sort of like a pre-screening almost, like see if this warrants further screening. Um, so the Barton tutoring, Susan Barton is, is her name, and she has this, this whole website about dyslexia, and she has a lot of things to check off, you know, it's like, signs of signs don't be when I first called the tutor she said well go to this website first and see and I went to the website and it's like yes 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 um, the one thing that didn't fit was my twins had learned to tie their shoes early and by themselves and a lot of times dyslexic kids have trouble tying their shoes but everything else was, was like check 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 so yes there are places that you could um, and you know and you don't need a tutor you can you know you could you can do a lot of these these things by your you know on your own but just kind of knowing what you're working with you know I, I would not have fought for them to copy the math problems correctly. You know, I would I would have taken a different approach to spelling. Um, answering more things orally. So they were in fourth grade, which is how old my youngest is now. And, you know, things that my other children and even that I have him writing the answers to, you know, I, I started doing orally with them just because writing was in fourth grade was still so, so hard for them, you know, whether it was the forming letters. And it's not that one of the first questions that the tutor asked when we went was to get tested she said well have you done a phonics program I said a phonics program you know so it's not <laughs> I just like left them out there to learn to read and write on their own we had done um we've done so many so many things but uh, and that's actually one of the great things about homeschooling and so then a, a question that I knew came up with educators in the family who were not necessarily supportive of homeschooling well you know if they were in school this would have been been detected but you know what that's not necessarily true I have friends who have kids who are dyslexic who went through both private school and public school and a lot of times they would be flagged for reading issues but if it's not the type of tutoring or working that speaks to a dyslexic brain it's really not that much of help because that's what I had been doing all those you know like all these different phonics programs and that's what most public school and probably private school too but um, reading programs are just more of the same, whereas what you need is something different. And so actually, it's really good that they weren't in school because they would have probably would, you know, just been spinning wheels with the same, just more of the same, more of the same, but not really getting to what they needed. Um, That sounds like one of those cases where it's like, you don't know what you don't know. How could you know when you knew you did something about it? And and here you are, you've been able to find ways to work through it to help them with it. And and certainly speak right to their needs and address the specific needs that they have in a way that would not likely be as dialed in 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 a larger setting. And you know they're they're certainly aware of they are aware of their limitations and and their difficulties. But I, I really and I and I know I've read things that you you know you never outgrow dyslexia. It's with you always. But this right brain learning program, you know, was talking about how you you can retrain the brain. And so, you know, you you really don't have those those symptoms of dyslexia. And that's really where I feel my my twins are are very close to that. And um, that's why we're only doing two live online classes, just because they know their limitations and they were concerned that that more would be too many. But that's the other thing. Colby is so great at working with families with children who have dyslexia or any other learning issues. Celeste Coyar is was great in helping me design a plan that was going to work, you know, for for them, and it and it has been has been really well. You know, like the right balance of the the stress of the online classes, the um, the flexibility of homeschool or self paced, and you know, one of the accommodations that um, that Colby will will give dyslexic students is that spelling will not count, you know, on mm-hmm. on assignments. And so at the beginning of the year, I contacted their two online teachers and said, I don't know if you've gotten their forms from Celeste yet. 
but would you like me to proofread their work before you turn it in? Because for a lot of the auto graded quizzes on school, it'll mark it wrong. If And, you know, of course, then they could email the teacher and the teacher can go back and change it. But I could just spell check for it. You know, I could I could serve as their spell check for them. And so we really appreciate the flexibility of, you know, of Colby willing to work with with that. And then also um, longer for exams too, you know, time and a half for exams, which they ended up not needing. I mean, they, they got it, but they, they didn't need it. But, um, but just kind of knowing that they could have that took the pressure off. And I told them, I said, you know, you're, you're, you're so close to not needing these things that, you know, pretty soon, pretty soon, you're not going to let you have the time and a half for the exams. And I, again, I know this might be a controversial point, but they are kind of outgrowing. We did work so hard last year with that right brain learning program that I, I think their their brain really has kind of been retrained. It sounds like the arrangement you have come to with the combination of homeschool, self-paced, live online classes, that sounds like a wonderful illustration of the goal of getting a little bit past the comfort zone, but not over the edge. Like we want to get in the space in between those two <laughs> where yeah. Where there's growth, but there it's not so high pressure that everyone just shuts down or even not even to that breaking point that it's just too much, you know, that their growth can happen and then build from there. That That's great to hear. Is it helpful to them to have each other, like to be going through the experience with someone so close? Because I think like whether it's a learning issue or a physical illness or a mental illness or uh, any sort of a experience that's challenging, it can feel so isolating sometimes. And so finding the finding those resources can be really helpful. But then to have someone right next to you who's going through it with you, that sounds like it could be challenging, but it could also really bring some solidarity for them. Yes, I, you're you're right, Hope. I think it's been so good for them to have each other so they don't feel like they're the only one you know, with this. And when kind of I first realized what we were dealing with, I started, you know, slowly telling people and they said, oh, hmm, you know, I wonder if my child also, and there are at least four different families who then, you know, looked into getting help for this, um, you know, whether it was doing the tutoring on their own or, or seeking a tutor. Because I think, as I, I was told, you know, everybody learns at a different pay, at a different rate. And it is so true. And as long as they're making progress, you think, well, that's good. And, and, and even if you're not dyslexic, it is true. Everybody learns at a different rate. And some people struggle with things more than others. And you don't necessarily have to have any particular learning issue. But I think a lot of times as homeschoolers, especially as moms with a lot of kids, you know, it's easy to think, well, maybe I'm just not spending enough time with that child. Because that's part of what I thought, too. I thought, well, my first three, it was one at a time, right? I was totally one-on-one for the math and the reading and the spelling. But now I was doing two at a time. Well, reading was mostly one at a time. But still, like, there were a lot of things that were joined, you know? And so I thought, well, maybe that's the difference. Or, you know, maybe I'm just, now that I'm focused on the older kids, I'm not spending as much time with the younger ones. So there are so many different things that, as moms, we could attribute it to. And they that could very well be it. But again, once it gets to the point where there are just so many tears and it's frustrating for both of you, you know, that then you, anyway, that, then I would, that, so that was kind of my sharing, what what we went through kind of opened it up to, you know, other people saying, oh yeah, you know, I wonder. And then they ended up getting help. And that's something good that has come from that struggle for you all. And, and I think it's also quite hopeful, quite inspiring to see how you have approached addressing their needs in this way and finding these these programs that have worked well for you all and the skills that have come along with not just completing the tasks set forth in the programs, but the skills of, it, of addressing those particular needs. And those carry over to so much of life, right? Like this needs to be addressed. How are we going to approach that? Not just the content itself, but the just handling it. <laughs> I think that that's another great lesson to, to have come from that, it sounds like. Yes. Now that they are in ninth grade, do you find the adaptations that you continue to make, do you anticipate they're not needing particular, um, such as your spell check service or um, things like that? Other, um, I guess the word would be accommodations in a way, or do they get to the point where they take ownership of that and use the skills that you have helped them build and they kind of take over the management of that? So the spell check service, I think, will have to continue for a while. <laughs> but um, but the extended time on exams after after this time of exams, and this was our first, you know, like timed exam 
experience for the rest of this year. I said, but I don't, I, I might, you might not get that accommodation next year because, you know, I'll see how the rest of the year goes. But that's one that I think that they, they really have worked so hard and have, have come so far that, that they may not need that. Um, and I don't know if these were just easier exams because it was the first quarter exams of, you know, for ninth graders. And so this was easier than, than normally would have been um, as far as shorter, you know, time, time wise. So I don't know. Um, one accommodation I have not taken advantage of um, and that I don't plan to is you can request large assignments given ahead of time, um, like further ahead of time. So, you know, if a teacher was going to give you you have a week to get to do this assignment. Well, you don't. The teacher won't extend the due date, but you can request for the teacher to let you know about these assignments ahead of time. And that's one thing that I'm I'm not interested in using because their their time management skills are good enough that if they manage their time <laughs> as they should, you know that, that that they won't need that. Good deal. So, good deal. Do you have you encountered yet the need to seek accommodations for such things as um, standardized testings, the PSAT, or any of those other standardized tests that are coming down the pike that there might need to be some accommodations made? Yes. You know, so, I mean, yes, and yes, I know what you're talking about, but I have not yet because they are in ninth grade. So PSAT earliest would be 10th grade. Actually, even all my kids didn't do it in 10th grade, only some of them. Actually, I think only one of them took the PSAT in 10th grade. And then in California now, there are no live PSAT or no college board tests. And so my 11th grader is not having the opportunity to take it this fall. Because last year it conflicted with classes because the homeschool site we were going to do it, they didn't do it on Saturday. And so I said, oh, we'll just wait till next year. We're not going to make you miss your online Wednesday classes for this. You're only in 10th grade. Well, she missed her chance to do it, but she did take the CLT 10 and she actually took the regular, regular CLT also. So I don't know. So assuming that PSAT is back up in California next year, I would have them do it, but I would, we would do no accommodations, I think, for the PSAT to try because I really want them to, to use as few as they need. You know, like I, I'd, I'd even rather a slightly lower score with no accommodations than a higher score with accommodations. And I, I mean, I'm not talking the difference between, you know, like a 1500 versus an 800 total <laughs> combined score. But, you know, like if, you know, if we're talking a handful of points because you, handful meaning, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, whatever, because you ran out of time. I ran out of time when I took the SAT also, you know, like that's not such an uncommon experience. And so I, I want them to use as few as possible. So I'm, I'm hoping not to. That's not a, a great answer to your question. But my answer is I hope we'll, we'll go into it for the first time trying with without any. Mm -hmm. yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I know when I was studying for various standardized tests, the practice tests were often harder than the eventual real thing to kind of over-prepare. And so that especially makes sense with the PSAT where you can take it in 10th grade and then in, you can take it in 11th grade and it counts in 11th grade. It makes sense to over-prepare in some ways or really challenge yourself in that first round. Right. You know, I look, I look at my older kids who you know, would not need any accommodations, but just, you know, the first time they took a test, like the PSAT or the CLT, how they did depended on how well they prepared. And not to say that if you prepare, you're always going to do fantastic, but I think with enough preparation and being familiar with the format of the test, I'm, I'm hopeful that they'll be able to do it without accommodations. Um, just for them. And when I say hopeful, it's not anything so much for me as if it's not for me, it's just, giving them the confidence that, you know, you can do this, you know, you, you can do this on your own. You've, you've worked so hard. You've overcome so much, so many of your, your struggles. Um, right. There's definitely a time and a need and a place for the accommodations to build up what needs to be built up. And then there comes a point when they, all of it is working toward the end goal of, of them living their lives as they're called to eventually. Right. So I can see how it, it's a bit of a continuum we start here, but we keep moving in this direction. So, right. When they were first diagnosed, I remember asking the, the tutor, I said, so what happened? You know, like looking far down the road. And, and she said, well, you know, the idea is eventually, the hope is that eventually they won't need accommodations, right? So, you know, you're, you're in fourth grade, so you have, you have a while to go. And so I guess I've kind of always kind of kept, kept, kept that in the back of my mind, you know, eventually that is the goal, no accommodations. And I understand not always achievable, but, but that is the goal or, or, you know, reducing the accommodations. And so, but, but the accommodations for the confidence. So that's why I did ask for the extended time on the exams because I, sure. I wanted to 
or feel confident because otherwise they would have worried the whole time I mean, from the time they opened the exam and started taking it they would have worried they're going to run out of time right they build the confidence so yes you can do this sure well celeste in her episode when we got to visit with her a few episodes back she used the the illustration of a stool to reach if you are short in stature as i am <laughs> i make use of stools to reach things i'm not growing anymore but um People who are still growing eventually won't need won't need stool. You just reach right. teenagers who reach things for you now. That's right. Uh, all my people are going to be taller than I am. A couple of them already are. <laughs> the others are well on their way. <laughs> I think it translates. I in this context, we're talking about these um, accommodations in the academic environment. Transition to the point where there are so many tools we have available to us now. Right, so much technology and all kinds of assistance to help us those act as stools, so to speak, right? So even learning along the way how to make use of them. But also there's that idea of sometimes it's easier said than done. Like you need to do for yourself what you can do for yourself and to show yourself, like you're saying, you have this extra time now to show, to prove to yourself that you can do this. Right. And then you won't always need that. Yes. Spell, spell check on the computer will always be their right. one of their best price. But they're not always going to be in a school environment, you know, where spell check is not available, right? You know, those auto-graded quizzes, there is no spell check. That's really the principle of subsidiarity in action is that a smaller entity does what it can. And then there are layers of support and, you know, you're there to help them and to guide their formation. Beth, did we cover what you would like to about homeschooling your children with dyslexia? One thing I would say, you know, it can be so overwhelming at first when you, especially if you've are, well, I suppose if you're a new homeschooler, it's totally overwhelming too. But if you're, if you've been homeschooling and things have been going along fairly smoothly and then you hit this, oh my goodness, am I going to be able to handle this? Am I going to be able to kind of switch gears? Um, but there are so many resources and it is possible. And, and, you know, my, my twins are proof that it, you know, that it is possible to, to overcome, you know, a lot of, a lot of challenges. And, um, and even if things never come as easily to them as they do to, you know, some of my other children, that's okay. You know, things come again, learning issues aside, certain things come easily to different people. And, um, you know, some people, regardless of learning issues, just learning language is really hard. Other people learning language is super easy. And so while there are things that they may always struggle with to some degree, as a parent, you know, the idea of you're as a parent, you're their biggest advocate in the homeschooling world. You you can be their biggest advocate in a way that you, you can't even, you know, in, in a public school. And, and while in many ways it was the most difficult teaching them to read and, and doing a lot of these things, these were the children that it was most important that I homeschooled for this, you know, because of how easy it would have just been for them to get lost in the system or just, I mean, already they know how they struggle and they compare themselves to their siblings. So imagine a, a classroom full of peers your age, right, who are who are not do, having the same issues you are. You know, one thing I read that so often children with dyslexia or other learning issues are diagnosed with behavior problems because it's so much easier to fall out of your chair or drop your book on the floor or be goofing off and be sent to the principal's office than for the rest of the class to know that you can't read when it's your turn to read. So I, I think, you know, rather than saying, oh, you know, I, there's no way I can homeschool my child, children because of this issue, it's like all the more reason to homeschool. Yep. Mm -hmm. So you're finished with the Right Brain Learning Program, it sounds like. We are. Are there other tools that you're making use of now? Yeah, so there's a program called Learning Ally, and there are audiobooks. But in addition to being audiobooks, they're also they also have the text in front of you, and so and each sentence is highlighted as it's read. That's really great because they're not just listening, but it's well forcing them. I mean, they you know they they follow along and read as they're hearing it, so it, it makes the reading easier. But it's not just the audio. You know, they're also reading to which improves their reading. So that's that's been. That's been a great help, and we've used that for um, for literature books, and then also the, just for fun, they they do that. So they have audiobooks like fun reading, so to speak, literature, also some textbooks, though, correct? Some we have maybe? not used we have not used any textbooks. My understanding is that they do, but the textbooks that we are using right now, my twins are okay reading, so we haven't looked into that. But I'm actually doing British literature class with them as a homeschool class, it's kind of out of order. My first one I did it in 12th grade, but this one we're doing it now just because I thought it would be a better fit for ninth grade than the difficult ancient texts. Um, sure. So we're doing that now. And so they've, they read Screwtape Letters, they read Robinson Crusoe, and they actually, I think for one of the books, they actually use the 
the addition Colby suggested and just listened along. But I know sometimes they still like to listen um, and read along. And when they were younger, that was kind of the only, I think that's what got them to enjoy reading because reading was so hard for them. And, you know, as they're younger, I, why do I have to read? You can just read to me, you know, when they're, when they're younger. And I said, you know, you're going to like reading once it's easier, you'll like it. I'm never going to like it. And even once it got easier at first, they didn't like it, but then eventually they didn't. I think it might've been the, the learning, the reading and listening with learning ally that, that really helped them to start enjoying it on their own. That makes sense to do the the British literature class with Learning Ally too, because you're reading and listening to books that were originally written in English, so you don't have the translation trickiness, because I know that with some books, all the translations are good, and then with others, Colby's like, this is the one that we really recommend, and so it can be tricky. I remember we we would drive in the car a lot to actually go see Bonnie, when I was in high school. And so a couple of times we looked for audiobooks of the specific like Herodotus translation or whatever, and they were hard to find. And so that, that makes sense to do uh, that learning ally would be especially helpful with books that were originally in English. So you don't have that sticking point. Yes. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but um, I'll have to start looking now for next year's ancient texts. Yeah, I'm sure there's so many more resources now just in general. I'm a big fan of audiobooks. I had noticed on Learning Ally the Socratic Logic text is on there. That's why I was asking about the textbooks. I haven't explored it in depth to see what other textbooks are available there, but I did notice that that one is there. So that's in the 10th grade English course. So I took note of that. That's good to know. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> For next year. Yeah. Right. Yes. Nice. How do you handle your other obligations, your other work, volunteering? projects, hobbies, your spiritual life? How do you make this all work? Well, hobbies have largely fallen by the wayside. And I, I do not uh, work out. I do not have a job. I, we, I do quite a bit of, of volunteering, uh, though. Help moderate the schools, you groups, and then, uh, which, depending on the week and the class, can take a lot of time or a little bit of time. Um, my husband and I teach natural family planning classes through the Couple to Couple League. I teach Sunday school, or I taught Sunday school pre-pandemic, but assuming I'll start again sometime, you know. Um, and then I went through training to be a, um, a catechist for the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd program. And I don't know if people have heard of that, but, um, and so I was helping out with the, an atrium during the week also. And I led my girls' little flowers group up until last year. I do quite a few odds and ends things, you know, not, not anything. Um, a lot of it I set my own schedule for though. So that makes it easier. I plan a lot of those things in the evenings. When my kids were younger, you know, taking advantage of nap times for those activities. Sure, you find ways to, to slip it in there, sounds like. Yeah. You do lots of good work. Sounds like you capitalize on your moments of opportunity <laughs> as they present themselves and you found a way to, to make bring them all together. So for the online students, students enrolled in, I think at least even just one online class, right, have the opportunity to participate with their parents' permission in discussion groups in Schoology, which is the learning management system that Colby makes use of for all the classes. And so can you tell us more about those? Sure. So it's amazing to me the sense of community that can come from an online school. The kids have so much fun talking, you know, to each other through these um, through these discussion boards. And the topics are really funny sometimes and sometimes they're serious and sometimes it's you know like this or that do you like ice cream or cookies or you know and then they you know so it's like little funny things or sometimes it's more serious things and and you really do see a, a sense of community developing which is actually one of the things that really surprised me when we joined Colby when my son was in ninth grade I did not expect that you know I was expecting a good solid education which he certainly got um, but I was not expecting the the community aspect and perhaps because he's a boy it, it was not so evident with him but my daughters have made some really good friends online and friends that we've even met in person like that we've gone out of our way to meet in person you know when we've been traveling she's you know met up with them for like i've sent her to the march for life to be with people she's one of her friends has relatives near us and she came and spent a few days with us just you know this great sense of community um, that can develop and one of the things about the Schoology groups is it gives a students opportunities to connect with each other 
because they can't exchange email addresses, right? And But then if they find that, you know, we have a lot of interest in common, then parents can message each other and they can exchange. So the students' relationships can continue more than just the, the discussion um, groups. I've seen every year these discussion groups open and they each, there's one for each grade level, six through 12th, right? Correct. Each, so it's according oh, actually, to seven, grade. Seven, actually, seven through 12th. Seven through 12th. And okay. last year, the last quarter, Mrs. Lingle let the sixth graders kind of have like a a preview of what it would be like. Sure. But they start so, in seventh. So you coordinate all of the moderators, the parents volunteer to moderate these different grade level discussion groups, right? And there are two or three parents in each grade level keeping an eye on the discussions, right? Yes. And for some of the groups this year, we have four because groups that were especially active last year, I thought would benefit from four. And then also just there's so many students this year that I thought twice as many students means twice as much conversation <laughs> because you have to go through all the all the posts, you know, that, that come in and comment if they need some comments or you mostly it's just reading through them. But um, but commenting if you need to remind the students of the rules. Um, So yes, so some of the groups have four. So as part of their orientation at the very beginning of the year, right, they're given some digital citizenship training, how to interact online. And then when these boards, because they're just now opening, I think really it it doesn't open immediately at the start of the school year. They've been given refreshers, reminders, guardrails, so to speak, or um, bumpers in a bowling lane or something like here's how you can drive in this lane for these discussions, correct? Here's what's appropriate for discussion, what's not appropriate. It, even including some of the religious discussions, right? They are told specifically to keep those in religion class, right? Correct. So, and, and, um, and political discussions are mm-hmm. reserved for class. Right. So, and Colby keeps very close tabs on student information. So like you're referring to with parents exchanging the contact info beyond just the Schoology profile, which is intentionally kept private for, for family privacy reasons. Every family gets to decide how much information they want to divulge beyond the basic what they need to interact in the online school. So that's something I've always appreciated about Colby is the great care they take with the student information and the deference to parents in regards to how much we want to put out there about ourselves. So I have so much respect for you moderating these boards that that has got to be a big job it's always um, it's always nice to see when the students correct each other. So there have been a couple instances this year, and I can't. Oh, so so somebody put a in one of the groups. Somebody had the title "Movies" for one of the discussions, and somebody else put "Remember to keep it under PG-13," you know, because it's no PG-13. It's under you know. Or somebody was posted a a picture that you had to click to open, and somebody else. You know, then another student said, oh, remember, it can't be something that the moderators have to click on. So it's it's nice to see when the students are kind of like moderating each other. You know, the adult still needs to be there. Sure. But when they kind of ownership for being sure that their class page is following the rules. This is one of these areas where sometimes folks, I think, are inclined to think, well, how can you get any any part of your need to be a part of a community met by being a, in an online school. Well, this is one of the ways that Colby accomplishes this, among others. And I think it, when we think as adults, the, the way we have found friends or community or like-minded folks or any other fulfillment in any in any measure, small to great, online from online communities, this is in a small way something like that for the students, even though we proceed with great caution in our online activities. I've appreciated how this has been set up with the students interacting with each other in this particular environment. I think it's been handled really well. Certainly appreciate you, your part in it. Oh, <laughs> I I'm, I'm happy to do it. It's, um, I'm happy to do it. And I, I couldn't do it without all the other parents who volunteer either. Do you find that the parents who volunteer to moderate, do they end up developing community among themselves? Friendships grow from there? I think some of them do, especially those who have been in a particular grade. A lot of moderators, if they like the class, then they want to follow that class, you know, from one year to the next. And um, and sometimes, you know, there are a couple parents who do that together. Especially this year with so many people coming to this way of school. And there were a lot of questions I remember at the beginning, like how do, how do we get to know our classmates? How do we get to know the other families? And and here we are now through the work of a lot of folks behind the scenes. Here we are at this way of able to, to get to know each other outside of class, but also um, within very distinct 
parameters. Yeah. What else? Things that stick out in your mind, favorite memories of homeschooling? Well, some of my favorite memories are probably my my all-time favorite thing to do is to read with my children, whether they're reading to me or I read to them. You know, I just, I, I love reading to my children and them reading to me. So that's probably the my favorite part of the homeschooling. Um, another thing that it's not, it is homeschooling, but not the book learning homeschooling is field trips. You know, we, we try to make um, once a month, you know, make a, a goal to, to do, to go on one field trip a month. Of course, this year it's not happening, but, and actually we took a break a couple years also. One thing that was an adjustment for me is it was like, we all did everything, right? My kids and I, you know, my husband's at work, but you know, we, we all go on all these trips, on these field trips. But then as my older ones got older and busier with high school, they didn't have the time. And so then we stopped going, but then I realized, well, the younger ones still need to go, you know, so that, that was an adjustment for me realizing, okay, well, I don't have to go with everybody, you know, I can just take the ones who are available, but probably field trips are another favorite thing of mine about homeschooling, just the opportunity to go and do things and see things and, and just learn experientially. Things that we've made a habit, getting our schoolwork finished before we play. <laughs> sure. I guess, especially in the younger grades of high schoolers, it seems that homework is never finished, you know? Right. So they can take a break to do something and then, you know, go back and work after dinner. And that's important, too, to recognize we got to take breaks sometimes. Sometimes we get to the point yes. that it's not realistic to think we got to auger in until it's all done. <laughs> it's not going to turn out so well if we try to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, generally, for the younger ones, though, earlier, you know, have to have a finish on the early side because late afternoon. At least for my younger ones, late afternoon was not a good time to do schoolwork. But for high schoolers, again, they, they work a lot. Yeah, right. Late afternoon here, too. Same thing. Not so much. We do have an end time. That's true. Well, I certainly appreciate you coming to visit with us, gleaning some wisdom from your experience, and I and I know it will be helpful to others as well. I wish you continued success and good times, continued growth, and all of the, all of the good things in really been a pleasure visiting with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Bonnie. It's been great talking with you too. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.